The podcast was originally just going to be a starting lineup figurine podcast. I wish, Jeff. I wish. That's actually true. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is December 8th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor here at 538. Joining me in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Did you have a good birthday? Oh, yeah. No, it was great. <laughs> this is a podcast now where we celebrate people's birthdays. That's the new, that's our new thing. <laughs> I mean, that's good. That's a good spirit to be in. No, I I, um, I had a great birthday. I uh, got some cool stuff for my computer. And also, uh, so you and several other people at work sent me um, some wonderful merchandise related to my favorite basketball player from the 1990s, Mr. Lafonso Ellis, who's now a um, ESPN commentator, including though a, a starting lineup figurine of Lafonso Ellis from probably like the 97 season or something. So I was thrilled to get that. It was, it was a great moment. I was just happy that there are figurines of Lafonso Ellis. I think this is an important thing for, for mankind really. Well, <laughs> Yeah, longtime listeners will note that we um, we did a rabbit hole on the starting lineup figurines. One of our first rabbit holes, I think, was was on that. Um, so, like, if any player was gonna have a starting lineup figure, it was gonna be Lafonso Ellis, who was a briefly an All Star level player in the 1990s in the NBA. So, you know, that's that's prime uh, starting lineup fodder. <laughs> that voice you hear is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. I had to start talking because it was in know. like 10 minutes. Of I'm like, so sorry, Jeff. You know, <laughs> Jeff you know gets so cranky when he's not introduced. So you guys, there's no longer an undefeated team in the NFL. The Pittsburgh Steelers lost last night to football team. Yay, football team. Football team did it. <laughs> One of my favorite teams named football team. All-time favorite. What um, a weekend. Yeah. Look, and between the Giants winning, the, the NFC East is back, folks. I mean, first of all, yeah, from the perspective of this Eagles fan, the NFC East is not back. I mean, who cares? Like, I, I don't care anymore. It's, oh, the, the Eagles oh. don't deserve to win this division. It's trash. They're trash. Carson Wentz uh, was mercifully uh, put out of his misery uh late in that game against the Packers anyway we're not here to talk about the Eagles <laughs> though I do I yet. feel like yeah yeah no I feel like your your story Neil on how Carson Wentz is terrible actually maybe helped get him bench so that's a good thing right for the, oh you think you Doug know, Peterson what? reads 538 he was like you know Absolutely. something was wrong with this team but I couldn't put my finger on it until I read about Carson Wentz's ELO rating. Yeah, I hadn't read anywhere else that Carson Wentz was having a bad season. And also, I didn't know it from watching the game. And then I read a story on 538.com. And now now I know. That sounds right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to mention one other thing here at the top, you guys. Something very important to me. <laughs> the Iowa State Cyclones won against West Virginia on Saturday and are the outright winners of the Big 12 Conference. This is notable because it has not happened. Iowa State has not won the Big 12 in football or their conference in football since 1912. Their first conference championship since 1912. I'm very excited for my Cyclones. They're good. They're legit good. It's too bad uh, their coach will be coaching Michigan. Shut up. I don't want to. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
Sorry about that. He's not um, going to Michigan. Hey, I just read that Harbaugh is going to get an extension. Oh, my goodness. Don't. Today in bad <laughs> hiring decisions. Um, so you've got that look to, to look forward to, Jeff. Well, maybe he'll go to the Jets, you know. Could be. Maybe he'll just go to one of my teams. <laughs> not both. Just one. All right. Maybe he could coach both teams and do better than the current clowns in there. On today's show, we'll talk about week 13 in the NFL and specifically about the Jets, that bizarre play call against the Raiders and the viability of tanking in football. We'll also talk about the offseason moves in the NBA and how weird of a team the Houston Rockets might end up being next year or, you know, in two weeks when the 2021 season starts. And finally, we'll have a special guest join us to take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. Things are looking up for the New York football giants, but the New York football jets remain in a world of pain at 0 and 12 on the season. They were close, so close to their first win over the Las Vegas Raiders, but with 13 seconds left in the game and the jets up by four, their defense inexplicably brought the house, allowing quarterback Derek Carr to throw a Hail Mary 46 yards for a touchdown to wide receiver Henry Ruggs. Jets defensive coordinator Greg Williams was fired on Monday after the loss, and Twitter, not unsurprisingly, exploded with takes about how this was proof that the Jets are tanking to get Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence in the draft next year, and how that is or is not a good thing for the Jets. Regardless of whether the final play call was intentional, on ESPN's Get Up, Rex Ryan did not mince words about just how badly the Jets screwed up there. Dumbest call I've ever seen. And only and been around the thing for 58 years, 30 years as a coach. That's the dumbest call ever. There's there's no other way of, of putting it. Look, and it's not like cover zero. There's a time and a place for cover zero. That thing sure ain't it. That's I mean, it's just stupid. So I guess first, can we put into context how much of an outlier this call was? Neil, was this the dumbest call Rex Ryan has ever seen? Well, I don't know how many calls Rex Ryan has seen. I mean, he's he, like he said, he's been around a while. He's seen his some of his own calls. So, you know, <laughs> like that, that, that yeah. gives you a little background on that. But no, I think uh, there there was some research by ESPN Stats and Information Group that tried to put into context exactly how weird or rare this call was. So they looked at the last 15 seasons and they looked for pass plays that took place in the last 15 seconds of a game where a team was down by four to eight points. So with it, you know, you needed a touchdown to, to, um, to tie the game or win the game uh, and that there were 40 or more yards to go to the end zone. So a Hail Mary type of situation, basically they found 252 pass plays fitting those criteria and only one play uh, saw the defense send six or more pass rushers in that situation. And uh, you guys know what the one play was. So <laughs> that uh, tells you a little bit about, just how weird it was to sort of send that all out blitz under those particular conditions, the cover zero leaving no help over the top for your cornerbacks, especially when your cornerbacks are, you know, inexperienced and, or not very good. Uh, so there was a lot of head scratching things about that. Our friend Mike Salfino in our chat uh, on the site yesterday pointed out that Greg Williams does this, uh, you know, this is like a thing that he does, uh, you know, from time to time anyway, like he loves to blitz. He probably loves to blitz 
far too much and in really inappropriate, weird situations, this being one of them. And so, you know, that muddies the water a little bit around these questions of tanking, along with the fact of like, what does Greg Williams have to gain to call this terrible call to intentionally lose this game like a lot of the tinfoil hat people are are pointing out? Greg Williams was fired, but you know, was probably going to be fired, almost certainly going to be fired by the end of the season anyway, along with the rest of the Jets coaching staff. He had nothing to gain by aiding the Jets' pursuit of Trevor Lawrence. So it's always a little weird to me to kind of, you know, uh, these conspiracy theories about uh, helping a t- uh, tanking and helping a team lose when you have nothing to gain. You just get embarrassed on television and reduce your chances of being some other team's defensive coordinator because you're the guy <laughs> that brought the house on on a blitz and gave up the Hail Mary. Yeah, I, there's a, when you're tanking, when you're a team that is even in position to tank, you already have to be bad. And so, like, bad play calls are, you, got you know. That covered. Yeah, like bad play calls are sort of just like part of the part of the season already. It's when they happen in really high profile moments when they might win that I'm not surprised that people thought. But, you know, a million things had to go right on that on that play. For, not really. They just had to pick up all the blitzers. Well, but and also catch the ball and the beat the coverage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mike is right. That is what Greg Williams does. That's his style. The jailbreak blitz is like his calling card, but weird timing. You go into a prevent, you put a bunch of guys around the goal line. Like everyone who's watched a football game knows <laughs> how you defend that. And also it's amazing how all those blitzers just didn't even go near. He just like basically went through a little tunnel in the offensive line in the pocket and emerged to find the wide receiver. And they, and they kind of had that opportunity or, I think on the play before earlier yeah. Aguilar and he missed it. So it was strange. Um, but I think like, you know, I've said this on this show before about NFL tanking is that this is kind of how you do it. Cause the players themselves, it's very rare in the NFL with a 16 game schedule. And these guys are like, you know, getting killed out there and beat up and it, there's all this trash. Like they don't, they're not trying to lose the actual players. It's very rare you see. I think you've seen players, and arguably you've seen this on the Jets with Gates, like kind of give up on their coach a little bit. And and we've definitely seen that, you know, evidence this year with, you know, look at the Lions. They they, they fire Matt Patricia. They come out and win. This happened earlier in the year, you know, with Dan Quinn. I think it I think it might have happened when Bill O'Brien was fired, or at least we saw a better Texans team um, mm-hmm. immediately. The the actual evidence that the Jets are tanking is the fact that Adam Gase is still there. Right. Uh, that's all you need to see. I mean, like this guy could have been fired after week three. And, and the irony is that a lot of people were saying they don't want to fire Gase, you know, towards the end of the year because Greg Williams will come in as the interim coach <laughs> and rally the team to like three or four wins. And we've seen that happen b- before with teams, too. Yeah. Where it's like you you play better and then all of a sudden it's uh, the, the team is tempted to bring back the the guy that came in. So, so if you're going to tank in the NFL, this is the kind of thing you do. The other thing you do is you quarterback tank, which is what interesting is happening in Jacksonville. You know, Gardner Minshew is healthy, and they're they're throwing Mike Glennon out there. Now, granted, Mike Glennon hasn't looked that bad. He looked kind of okay, but they have their starting quarterback healthy, and they're not playing him. Well, based on the way that we've seen Darnold versus Flacco play this season, they probably are actually playing the inferior quarterback. Yeah, it's possible. It's sad as that is to say, as an 
ardent Darnold supporter and defender <laughs> for years. And I, I'm having trouble doing it anymore. Well, so Jeff, as a as a Jets fan, did you want them to yeah, win that I, game? I kind of did. It's like such a it it's it's a terrible position to be a fan because I really don't want to root against them and I really don't want to see them go 0 and 16. But I also don't want them to get the second pick in the draft and Justin Fields, who I, I know some people are high on, but I, I, personally, I think you know Lawrence is a different caliber. Although I was watching a little bit of the Clemson Virginia Tech game and I saw him almost throw a pick, and I'm like, eh, is this well? Okay, is so this that's worth it? yeah. So that's but right. Is that is Trevor Lawrence extraordinary enough? to be worth this like weird game of chicken that the Jets and Jaguars are playing. I mean, Neil is, is Trevor Lawrence head and shoulders above Justin Fields or anyone else in this class that, that this is worth it? Well, he certainly has been hyped as, you know, I hesitate to use the term generational talent, but that's, <laughs> uh, that, that's sort of the ready-made term for a guy like him. Like he, uh, when he was in high school, even he was regarded as the best, uh, quarterback prospect uh, coming out of high school since Peyton Manning instantly takes over the starting job for the national champion as a freshman, as the MVP of the um, uh, of the football playoff, uh, and has just been you know shown a few uh, indications that he is anything less than that you know uh, elite prospect uh, that that's kind of a once every twenty years comes along kind of guy. So. Yeah, I think uh, if if you have doubts about it, it's not necessarily about Lawrence. It's just about the the concept of tanking in football to begin with, which I do have you know some doubts about in terms of whether or not it really is worth it to do that for anyone, uh, even if it is somebody like Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, has I mean I'm trying to you know tanking and uh, it's not really clear over the past couple of years whether whether teams have been tanking for the a top spot. You know, we we thought last year that um we thought at the beginning of the season that the that Miami was tanking for Tua and uh then they didn't. They like won <laughs> at the end of the season and then Tua fell to them in the fifth spot. So they still it still ended up happening. I mean, when the Browns got, you know, two number 1 picks back to back years, they uh weren't trying to be bad they just were really bad right yeah it's tough to draw that line between um like deliberate tanking and just normal bad football and especially for teams like the browns before this year or before the past couple years they had been bad basically their entire existence with very few exceptions uh so it's like is that tanking or is that just bad organization and the jets are a little i mean you know the jets have gone 10 years without a playoff appearance and really have been you know a mess of an organization for a long time too so the this this year is notably bad just because they might go 0 and 16 but it's not like that far from some of your other run-of-the-mill perhaps non-tanking jet seasons the type of the last time we heard this type of you know fanfare about you know purposely tanking for a certain player was probably Andrew Luck. Well, but Definitely. they weren't. I mean, they also just had bad injury. Like they didn't start off the season, the Colts, like trying to. I mean, that's just sort of how it happened because of Peyton Manning getting hurt. Right. Like, yeah. Right before the season. And and then, um, yeah, that, that just kind of worked out for him because then Andrew Luck got to go to a team where he could succeed with right away, which I don't think that's is it going to happen for Trevor Lawrence? (laughs) 
Yeah, and that's yeah. a great point. Is that the you know the the situational tank, the tank where, uh, and we've seen this in basketball too, with like the Spurs have a bad year where David Robinson is out, and they happen to get the number one uh, pick, and they get Tim Duncan, and then all of a sudden slot him in with players who you know, we're already good, a core that was already good, but just happened to have a down year because of injuries or what what have you. That's like exactly the same with the that Colts team where you're able to slide Andrew Luck in and then he has a lot of success early in his career. I feel like that is the template for when you actually want to tank because it doesn't involve this like multi-year process of totally gutting your team and being totally devoid of talent and any kind of like winning culture or anything like that. Cause then you have to, you know, yeah, you've got Trevor Lawrence if you're the jets or, or, you know, whoever ends up having the number one pick, but then you have to build up all the stuff around him after you've sort of degraded all of that stuff in order to get Trevor Lawrence. And then maybe by the time Trevor Lawrence uh, or by the time you have the supporting cast around him to actually help him win, Suddenly he's expensive. He's off that rookie quarterback deal and you have to um, you have to extend him. And then all of a sudden you have less to spend on other players. So it's like this. I don't I just don't totally know if it works in in a sport like football where you're not like even even for a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, you're not one player away from being, you know, a contender or a a championship contender the way you are in a sport like basketball, where maybe it makes a little more sense. And there's a reason why they put in the the draft lottery, because teams were tanking and probably rightfully so for, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon and Patrick Ewing and all these guys in the in the 80s is because like, when you draft one of those guys in basketball, they actually can single-handedly turn around a team and you don't need to do that much extra work around them to be able to have a contender in the same way that for football, you got to fill out a bunch of other positions and a bunch of surrounding players around your, your Trevor Lawrence um, to be able to be in a position to contend for a Super Bowl. And you got to do it fast. I think that's, I mean, I think that's a good point about the other pieces that the Jets have, you know, you, you see the kind of cautionary tale of Joe Burrow this year where you know, he got walloped all year because the the Bengals offensive line couldn't protect him. So you have this exciting quarterback um, who then gets hurt and, you know, <laughs> loses the rest of the season and probably some of next year. And so that is obviously important to be able to build around a quarterback. You actually have to build and and, and make sure you're keeping him healthy assuming the Jets get Lawrence and and give Lawrence a chance to start next year, Darnold will be the second quarterback of that lauded 2018 draft class to lose his job, which is sort of happened kind of fast, um, you know, with with uh, Josh Rosen being shown the door in Arizona as well. Yeah. Well, hey, this is the big brain take on tanking is you let other teams do the tanking. Then they draft a quarterback. That quarterback washes out because there's no talent around <laughs> them because they tanked. And then you swoop in, trade for that quarterback when their value is low, and then make them your starter and you have better talent around them and they succeed. That's oh. how you tank. That's, that, that, that's called um, Operation Ryan Tannenhill. <laughs> yeah, it actually is. Well, also was coached by Gase. So who knows? <laughs> Just Guys take... Gase and all of a sudden they're amazing. Yeah, mm, not great. All right, well, we can't uh, end the segment without doing another round of our football survivor pool. We all won last week. 
we don't need to talk about how close I came to disaster by picking the Raiders. I was like the biggest Jets tanking fan there in the last few seconds of that game. Um, Neil had a much more comfortable win with the Packers over the hey, Eagles. Aaron Jones needed to bust off a 77 yard highlight reel run to make me feel that was a nice friend. Simultaneously terrible about the Eagles, but <laughs> yeah. great about my pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jeff uh, continued to capitalize on the Bengals' misfortunes by picking the Dolphins. So the points stand now. Neil at 10, Sarah at 9, and Jeff at 8. The order this week is Jeff, Neil, Sarah. Jeff, who you got? Uh, easy decision. I'm, I'm going to take the Seahawks here, uh, who will be hosting the Jets. I feel like the Seahawks got their clunker out of the way, losing to the Giants. They're not going to lose to the Jets at this point. I, I I will just remind you, last week you you saying, oh, yeah, I mean, the Raiders looked bad against the Falcons, but they're definitely going to beat the Jets easily. Just I just want to remind you. Of uh, that. I was surprised by that. I don't even know how good <laughs> the Raiders are. I mean, Seattle yeah. is just a bad matchup for the Jets. Russell Wilson, that, you know, the, the Jets can kind of stop the run a little bit. Um, even though the Raiders didn't even have their running back. But um, <laughs> Russell Wilson should pick that secondary apart. <laughs> okay, Neil, how about you? Okay. Um, well, obviously, I had my eye on that Seattle one, but I, I kind of <laughs> had hoped that Jeff would not pick against the Jets just off of, like, principle. But, like, you were actively rooting against the Jets a lot of the time, so that didn't make any sense. I wasn't to actively rooting. I was just actively ambivalent. <laughs> actively ambivalent. <laughs> Seems a little bit like an oxymoron, but anyway. Love that. Um, Excellent. So, yeah, now that that's off the board, it does make things a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, I, I, I don't feel... I'm not even sure whether I've taken the Titan. I have already taken the Titans, so that's pointless to speculate about. Um, but they seem to be all over the place anyway. I just took the Packers. I don't want anything to do with Kansas City against uh, the Dolphins. Dolphins seem tough. Uh, so I'm going to take the Saints against the Eagles. I'm going to pick against the Eagles back-to-back weeks. <laughs> yeah. I just I keep thinking that the Saints are going to – that Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill is going to catch up to the Saints, and he, he hasn't yet, but I don't know. Maybe this will be the week. Well, this is like the last week for it, right? Like yeah. if it's going to happen, it would happen now because I think yeah. Breeze is back soon. Yeah. All right. Well, so for my pick, I've been eyeing this pick for weeks. I knew I was going to take it because you guys have both picked this team, so I knew it was going to be available to me. I am taking Tampa Bay over Minnesota. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. Don't start with me. Minnesota is bad. All right. Listen, why do you keep fighting me on this? Let me live my truth. The Vikings are a bad team. They need an overtime to beat Jacksonville. All right. Stop. <laughs> okay. They're a playoff team, but okay. God. Like they're the, <laughs> I mean, I just don't, I don't even know how good Tampa Bay is to be honest. Um, no, same. I don't know that they, I mean, interestingly, again, ever since they picked up Antonio Brown, they have not been very good. Don't, don't make that same mistake teams. Um, but they are off a bye. I guess that would help. And they're playing the Vikings, which is the, the key factor in my pick here. So, 
Well, also, <laughs> I mean, Tampa Bay has outscored opponents by 64 points this year, even though they're only seven and five. By comparison, look at a team like the Cleveland Browns, who are nine and three and have been outscored by 15 points. So I think Tampa has yeah. been a little bit unlucky also uh, in terms of their record versus how good they actually are. I, I feel very good about my pick. I uh, have no problem. <laughs> Look, the one time I took the Vikings, they lost to the Cowboys. So again, I feel fine with this pick. Okay, we'll see how these games turn out. We'll take a quick break and be back in a moment to talk about the NBA. As we get closer to the start of the NBA season, and by closer, I mean we are 14 days away, preseason games start this Friday. We wanted to look back at some of the big developments in this quick turnaround offseason. Anthony Davis and LeBron James have both signed big contract extensions to stay with the Lakers. We already talked about Chris Paul's move to the Suns back in November, along with Gordon Hayward's huge payday with the Hornets. But one of the highest profile trades has come slightly later. Last Wednesday, it was announced that the Washington Wizards had agreed to trade John Wall to the Houston Rockets for Russell Westbrook. On ESPN's The Jump, Paul Pierce made the case for Wall's being the most interesting move of the offseason. Well, for me, it's going to be John Wall. And it's going to be like this. And it's been like this. It's always going to be that player that you always pair with James Harden because right. of his style of play. You know, so it was like I was interested to see CP3 when he yeah. first got there. I was interested to see Russ. And now it's John because the way Harden's style of play is, is so interesting. The way it contrasts with these other guys, it just sometimes it just we don't think it matches. Like, John Wall's a pure, about as pure point guard that you have in the league, and he needs the ball. Right. And we all know Harden's usage rate on the ball, this was made him an MVP and uh, the player he is today. So it'll be interesting to see that dynamic uh, because I think one of them has to change. I mean, I don't see Wall running the lane, running to the corner, Spot shooting up. threes, spotting yeah. up. And so it'll be interesting to see if Harden takes that role and becomes that player at this stage in his career. So Pierce brings up an interesting point. It's it's hard to gauge how these big trades, you know, one superstar to play with another, handle player fit and how someone like John Wall and someone like James Harden potentially match up. Neil, what's the best way for us to evaluate this trade? Or is it more the case where we'll end up just like shrugging and saying, we'll see if it works? I think we are in that shrug and, and see how it works stage with this trade because it, you know, contract wise, it was like one albatross for another. Um, <laughs> you get John Wall, who hasn't been healthy in a long time and uh, is a player that's so predicated on speed when he was healthy. So we don't really know what to expect from him. But then we just saw Russell Westbrook and James Harden, that experiment play out and really fizzle out um, last season. Uh, and then you get all the other drama going on with the Rockets and whether or not any uh, of their their players want to be there after they uh, cleaned house in the front office and the coaching staff. And so it's just kind of a mess. And we're seeing that even now, like a big component of this is what happens with James Harden, who is holding out. Uh, he's I, I, refusing to report. I don't even know what we would um, characterize it. Yeah, Harden, you know, he did he did go to parties in Atlanta over the weekend. He didn't wear a mask, so he can't be in training camp anyway, though this does seem like the way that um, that their new coach was was talking about it was that it was, you know, sort of a holdout situation. What are Jeff, what's what's Harden's incentive here? Like, is he is this going to 
does this do him good in forcing a trade? Honestly, I, I don't know what he's doing, to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't think, you know, it's not a good look at all. For for starters, the mask thing really bothered me the most. Um, because, you know, we saw the NBA works in a bubble. Let's let I'm not sure how it's going to work, you know, in a non bubble with everything that's going on there. And he's in Atlanta at this birthday party. And then he's in a nightclub in Las Vegas with no mask on. And like, is he trying to get COVID? I mean, like, this is not a good look at all. Um, he clearly is not happy on this team. Like, you know, the training camp itself doesn't bother me that much because we've seen this with veterans and other sports, you know, it in football guys who've been on the same team for a long time. They barely play preseason baseball. They, you know, we've seen stars not getting a bat in spring training or, or barely play in spring training. So I don't know if the actual like training is important, but the fact that he's running around the country, um, you know, doing all this stuff is not a good look. And it's just terrible optics more than anything else. If I was John Wall, it, it, it would not feel that great about the situation I'm coming into. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right that the 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 maskless thing is 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 just kind of weird. I, and I, I not something I would have expected from Harden. Um, being mad at the team, I totally expect and, and understood. Um, the, you know, the Rockets also picked up center Christian Wood from the Pistons, and that seemed like sort of a, no, really, we want to win now. We're going to make, you know, we're going to make this an interesting competitive team. And I, I wondered if that was enough to entice Harden to, like, recommit to this team. But maybe the you know, the bridges have all been burned. I'm not, I'm not really sure how to assess that. And I guess until he shows up, <laughs> we might not be able to assess it. But it, it is kind of weird that for the ultimate analytic player, which we've talked about Harden being before, certainly the way that he plays, you'd think that he would be excited about playing with somebody that the analytics like in Christian Wood, you know, and, and might be an interesting fit next to him also, because he's had so many problems with finding players that just don't fit you know it's been this um this endless cycle of superstars essentially that he has played with they can't get along he you know asked the team to trade them or i I don't know how the chris paul thing ended up eventually um uh playing out but it was a case where basically those two guys couldn't stand each other and so they needed something new and that's how westbrook landed there now westbrook's gone and it does seem to just be, be this like you know, musical sidekicks type of thing, musical second um, superstar uh, situation in Houston. So, yeah, you'd think he would relish the opportunity to get someone that isn't going to necessarily interfere with his ability to kind of command the offense but can still be efficient within that. But then again, I don't know if Christian Wood is really fitting into Harden's mindset right now uh, the way things are going, it seems. Yeah, I do. I wonder about Harden's image too. I mean, you know, I think – the the Harden Chris Paul dynamic was sort of you know maybe blamed more on Paul than Harden, but now it maybe is going to swing back and people are going to blame Harden more for all of his fit, fit problems. I don't know. Maybe that's not something NBA players care about. But but if you're trying to build a super team in the future, you have to convince someone to to play with you and that you'll be a good teammate too. I guess I don't know. Who knows how this works? Yeah. No, totally. And you have to convince teams to 
you know, go out and and probably give up a pretty good ransom of picks or otherwise, you know, foundational younger players uh, to give up for you under the assumption that they can win a championship with you. Well, James Harden, this is his age 31 season. So, you know, he's not looking at like that many more years, probably playing at the level that he's been playing at, which is the best in the NBA. We should say, you know, he led the league Mm -hmm. in, in Raptor wins of a replacement last season, but at the same time, things like this, uh, really diminish your, your trade value, I think in some ways and, and diminish, you know, the options of teams that you have to go to. We've heard Harden, he wants to go to Brooklyn and we've also heard a lot of Philly rumors and, you know, I don't know how, how real any of those are, but, you know, he has sort of said, like, here are the places that I want to go and the situations I want to fit into. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to go out and do stuff like this, it, it kind of diminishes um, your your leverage and the team's leverage in being able to kind of make those trades happen to more places. He's yeah. not a very easy player to trade. Uh, there's only, you know, there's only a couple teams he wants to go to. And, and what you're asking the other team, as you said, to send back and return is is a lot. Um, so that's not like, you know, a quick fix situation. So, you know, I, I don't know whether it's just the change of scenery and him wanting to get out of Houston, you know, with a new coach, new GM, and a just sort of new management altogether, or him just really being enticed by joining the Brooklyn team and, and, and playing with KD and all that, which probably seems more likely to me because that does feel like if I go there, we can maybe win next year, which I don't know if that's in the cards for Houston. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about AD and LeBron for a second. They are locked in with the Lakers Davis for the next five years and LeBron for the next three. It was obviously a, a great partnership last season and and they clearly want to work together for more titles if they can make that happen. The Lakers also made themselves better with trades and free agency signings this off season. Do you guys think that all um, that all of this makes the Lakers, you know, kind of scary enough that the Western conference becomes a little less interesting than what's going on in the East or is that too dismissive of, you know, the Clippers and the Rockets? I think there are, you know, they, they definitely had a good offseason, borderline great offseason in terms of what they were able to do with, you know, a uh, little wiggle room and getting, you know, Schroeder, Gasol and, and re-signing Harrell. So they, they, they've done They've had a good offseason. They've made the team arguably even better. But there's a lot that can go wrong. I mean, LeBron eventually, I think, is going to, with the amount of wear and tear, it's very possible he gets injured at some point, although he does seem indestructible at this point. Um, and Davis, same way, you know, he's he's had an injury history as, as well. So like a lot could go wrong. Um, I don't think it's as much of a dominant power as as say like GSW was when when they had all those guys going at full steam. Um, and, and there's a lot of teams that are pretty close and, and even, you know, better teams coming up with uh you know phoenix yeah making some interesting moves and becoming a contender like or at least a playoff caliber team in addition to la and la clippers and and denver and a lot of the teams that have kind of stayed the same quality yeah and we should say the warriors are an interesting team i mean obviously they lost clay thompson which is a um a blow uh but they should be better and at least in that conversation 
uh, going forward. Yeah, you mentioned the Suns. I think the Mavericks are an interesting team too. Uh, mm-hmm. Luka Doncic's only getting better. Uh, but really, the the Lakers and the Clippers, if you look at the Vegas odds, they are sort of head and shoulders above the rest of the West Where in, in a way that, yes, the Bucks are the favorites in the East. But yeah, it's a little more interesting of a conversation there. You got the Nets with those guys getting healthy and, and playing together really for the first time uh, in terms of the superstars. In addition to the Heat, can't forget about them, the Celtics, uh, and and the Raptors, uh, another team that we've sort of forgotten about how how well they played um, even without Kawhi last year. So I think the East is is um, probably a little bit more interesting, but we'll see what happens with the Battle of L.A. and whether the Clippers can overcome their postseason malaise, whatever you want to call it. And don't sleep on your Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, no, they should be they had rising. A, they had a, a pretty great offseason as well, getting a bunch of players to surround Trey Young. Yeah, they should be an all-offensive team. That should be a lot of fun. The, those games are going to be, you know, <laughs> 150 to 148 every every night. And that'll be, that'll be a good time. Yeah, I don't know how good they're going to be, but they should be entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we want, right? Um, the, the one, the other notable player we're all watching this offseason is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who celebrated his birthday on Sunday, just like Neil did. Hey. Did you know that you guys? Yeah, that's great. That's exciting. Yeah, you know, I used to look at LeBron James, who's also a December birthday. I think he's like December 30th or something. And uh, for I think for 24 days, LeBron and I are the same age. Um, but I didn't realize Giannis was also in that December birthday club. I should... Um, feel a certain amount of kinship to him. Of course, he's like vastly younger, which is depressing. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I want your spot reactions. Will Giannis sign a Supermax extension with the Milwaukee Bucks? Yes or no? Neil? No. Oh, Jeff. I mean, at this point, I'm just going to say yes, because Neil said no. <laughs> and, <laughs> but just from his, I, I don't know what else Milwaukee, I mean, I guess they could have got Bogdanovich, who's friends with him, but they, they tried. Got they tampered they tried and they got through holiday. So they, I think they really have done enough to just show that they're at least trying. Um, you know, I don't know what else they could have done, but ultimately, maybe I don't know. I'll say yes. Why not? Just a maybe. All right, Neil. Why do you think no? Well, I just feel like the history of uh, these types of free agents or players going into free agency after a season is always like it just never really works out for the the hometown team, the small market team. You know, we uh, as much as we held out hope that LeBron would stay in Cleveland the first time around, as much hope as we held out that Anthony Davis would stay with the Pelicans and so on and so forth. I just feel like uh, there there aren't that many cases of the players sort of recommitting and staying with uh, a team when they feel like they could go to a bigger market and play with more superstars. And I'm just not totally sure that uh, the the surrounding cast around Milwaukee is good enough to entice a player like Giannis to stay. But I could be wrong. I mean, you know, we're all just sort of shooting from the hip here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday, Giannis tweeted a um, selfie of himself smiling with the emojis, a little uh, peace sign and a smiley face. I think that means he's staying in Milwaukee. He's going to sign that contract. I'm going to I'm going to take that tweet to mean that that's the uh, the, the popular conspiracy that's some theory. extreme tea leaf reading. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, I think we can put a pin in this discussion for now. We'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 
538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. This week, we are delighted to welcome 538's NFL analyst, Josh Hermsmeyer. How are you doing, Josh? Doing good, doing good. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this piece. This was so much fun to do. Yeah, yeah. You wrote this delightful piece last week about football coaches in the movies. You analyzed where they fall on an alignment chart of good and evil and lawful and chaotic. <laughs> so what inspired you to categorize these fictional coaches that way? And what did you find? Yeah, it was it was difficult. I kind of went into the project thinking that I was going to be able to find, um, you know, lots of data driven stuff. Like I was going to be able to see what the down and distance was for each of these climatic drives and every movie. And then I was going to be able to objectively rank these coaches. And, and I thought everything was going to work out very neatly. But as it turns out in films, they don't actually uh, take the time to, uh, you know, really show you what, what the down and distance is or, or how much time is left on the clock. And sometimes, you know, the clock never moves. Like it, sometimes, <laughs> you know, like five different plays, they'll show the same down and the same distance. So it, it, it was, uh, it, it became pretty problematic. And, and so I thought, well, I can still, I mean, look, movies are still about characters and, and that, that's what they're all about. And so, I thought, well, at least I can talk about these coaches' um, kind of personality traits. And, you know, one of the fun ways, I don't know if you're a nerd like me, play D&D or whatever, uh, these alignment charts are, are kind of swim to mind immediately. And, uh, and, and so uh, that, that's how that ended up. We, I watched nine movies and, and, I, and I ranked them, you know, from good to evil or chaotic to lawful. And uh, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Which were the movies that you watched? Um, you watched... And the one that obviously stood out to me was Air Bud. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> tremendous. I remember the Titans, uh, We Are Marshall, um, North Dallas 40, which is probably my favorite football movie. And then, you know, some of the bad ones like, gosh, um, Varsity Blues. and Oh, take that back. Bad movies. Well, what are you saying? I just, and then like Johnny Be Good. What a dumpster fire that is. And, uh, <laughs> I, but, you know, like I went in, I, I remember it from my childhood a little because Anthony Michael Hall was in it and you remember he's from the Breakfast Club and he was kind of recast as this jock and I thought that was going to be really cool. Robert Downey Jr. was in it. Like it was going to be, it was going to be a super cool movie to rewatch and oh, wow. Oof. <laughs> Not so much. Yeah. So then Josh, uh, tell me a little bit about how you sort of put people along the alignment charts, along the two axes of that. What, what went into that, um, that classification system? Yeah. So I thought, I thought for lawful, it couldn't just be, are they adhering to norms? Right. Because, you know, each of these guys, like the Air Bud coach, coach Finale, he, he was certainly lawful, but he also led a, a golden retriever on the team. And that, I mean, that's a little, you know, different and, and that's definitely breaking some norms. Hey, nothing in the rule book says a dog can't play football. Or, or <laughs> a donkey, right? So, uh, or a mule, or I guess there was that other movie with the mule kicker. But uh, I think, I think, um, yeah. So, so when I looked at that, I said, you know, he's certainly lawful and good and all those things. Um, but I wanted to add in another layer, which was were they consistent in respect with respect to their ethos, kind of like their way of looking at the world. And and Finelli was always like it's about having fun, and so that's very consistent. So that that to me made uh, made sense. And then you know obviously chaotic isn't necessarily bad. I, there's a we have one good coach who's chaotic on the list for many given Sunday, um, Demot, Coach Demato, and Al Pacino was he's a strange character, and and he wasn't you know, entirely likable, but 
he was the most likable character in that film, I think. And uh, and so you, you were kind of rooting for him. And, um, and and his speech, of course, was wonderful. And so I think his also his character arc was interesting in that he starts off as this run first coach, you know, very old school. And then he kind of learns, you know, the new NFL and how to relate to players and, and kind of embraces the past a little bit at the end. I remember this was in, I think, 1999 um, when offensive explosion really was just just happening in the passing game or, or, or it just started because the early 90s were still the heyday of, uh, of the of bell cow running back. So uh, the, the league truly was changing at that point. Be honest, though, the fact that he went from run first to pass first made him a shoe in for good on your chart, right? Yeah, I, I, I am. I am biased. <laughs> I, I make no attempt to say that this was an objective ranking. So. <laughs> Um, absolutely. So what did you, what were your takeaways from, you know, sort of analyzing these coach, these coaches by their character? You know, with, with, with like, uh, coach Boone from remember the Titans, he was basically really good. Like I have him the highest up except for the, you know, coach finale, the the air bud character. Um, (laughs) and, and that is a tribute to Denzel Washington and, and the writers and, and, you know, the power and drama of that story. I mean, there were so many reasons why you were rooting for coach Boone. But the truth of that particular character is, is a lot more complicated. And uh, he was actually, uh, you know, there was almost a team mutiny. Um, there are some allegations about, you know, abuse and, and I don't, I mean, physical and, and, and kind of you know, yelling at the kids kind of abuse, not uh, anything else. But so that when you wrap that up in there and, and then you see that there are some little parts of that part of his character that make it through to the film when he deprives one of his players of water and calls him a coward are weak for wanting water, yeah. you know, those kind of problematic things. I think that that at least gives you a peek into, you know, maybe um, coaches overdo it. And I think that, um, and I think along the spectrum of this, uh, of this axis that we created, I think you see that, that kind of um, putting aside humanity to try and achieve a win. Um, you see that that kind of expresses itself uh, along that axis. And so I thought that was interesting. Was there a certain correlation that you could find between, you know, the the coaching alignment and the quality of the movie that they were in? You know, it was interesting. I thought for my money, it was the ones closer to neutral, that like like North Dallas 40. And uh, although any given Sunday was garbage. But I, I think, <laughs> no, but, you know, remember the Titans was good. But, you know, he was very lawful and, as I said, and very good. We Are Marshall didn't get very good reviews, but I thought it, there were some really moving scenes. Like, I, I think there's a lot you could take out of that and just say, hey, this is a pretty good football movie. But um, I think the the kind of, um, they, they strayed a bit from reality, I believe, in, in, in a couple places. And, and certainly Matthew McConaughey's character was kind of, he was just really good and really nice and kind of goofy. Uh, but that, that was, there wasn't really much to him as a head coach. He was, um, he was just a good guy. And that's great. And that's what that's what the team needed at that point in time. But uh, I don't think he was as interesting as, say, someone like the guy, the coach from North Dallas 40, um, B.A. Struthers. And for so for that movie, that was the one real opportunity you had to look at some play calling on their final drive, the, you know, climatic drive of the game. Um, what did you and you actually used you tried to figure out the expected points added from each play call, right? I tried. Yeah. And and one, one of the cool things was uh, the model I used. Uh, it's a public model on uh, called NFL Fast R. And in any way, they have an expected points added model. And I plugged it in and they also gave the probability of getting a TD on the drive. And of course, they needed a TD to win. Um, or at least tie the game, and they needed the extra point to win, which they missed in the game. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were able to figure that out and that was really cool. And, and again, that's kind of a glimpse of what I had hoped to do for every coach. Um, but I think that also speaks to the um, to North Dallas 40 as a movie. They had a, a lot of um, experts on hand during the movie making process uh, from the league, from the NFL. And, and so there was a lot of attention to detail um, regarding, you know, down a distance and all the things that make football football. Um, it wasn't just about the characters. It really was about how the game impacts players. That was really the theme of the movie and, uh, and the business of football. And so they wanted to get that stuff right. And, and it really showed in, in the end product. Unfortunately, those folks who, who helped out uh, on the movie, a lot of them got blackballed. They, were, they lost their jobs. Um, the NFL did not like North Dallas 40. Yeah, well, I thought it was really interesting. You get into what the um, the, the real life parallels between the, the coach in North Dallas 40 and Tom Landry, that he was based on an actual coach uh, and, and this portrayal of someone that was just sort of, you know, kind of heartlessly about statistics, almost like a caricature of an analytics person uh, <laughs> later on. Uh, I found that that was really fascinating that um, they, they were kind of showing this you know, cold, calculating, but not necessarily compassionate side uh, of, of statistics back then, back when the movie was made a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, they, they really were out in front of, of a lot of things with that movie, the hypocrisy of drug use and certainly analytics and how it can be taken down a really bad, dark path where you could be dehumanizing and, and, and it can create separation between management, leadership of a team and, and the actual players. And, and I think that, you know, they probably overdid it a little bit, but I mean, it's a movie. And, and the point they were making in one scene, Struthers sits down with Elliot, the wide receiver, Nick Nolte's character, and they're doing a, a review of his performance and also of his attitude. And Struthers looks at his computer for about 15 seconds of the movie and never, never, never at Nolte. And then turns from the computer and says, see, the problem is your attitude. And then I think that, <laughs> and I think that that is, you know, that kind of encapsulates the, even then back in the seventies and sixties, the hate that, that, that certain people felt towards this, this cold numbers based approach. We've been getting, we, analytics people have been getting a, a bad reputation for, for decades. <laughs> um, Josh, was there any movie that you didn't include that you wish you had now that, you know, the story's out there? A lot of people bagged on me for not having the replacements in there uh, and Keanu. And um, I actually have never seen it. So I didn't, I didn't even know where to include it. But when I was picking films, I was trying to get a good range of like well-reviewed and, and, and uh, poorly reviewed films. And uh, it kind of was in the mushy middle. So it, I didn't think it really stuck out to me. Um, but a lot of people said it was really good and I should I should have checked it out. <laughs> I, I saw a request for Little Giants that that didn't make it in. Uh, <laughs> I feel like one. one childhood movie, though, is probably enough for the list. And Air Bud, you know, you got to go with that. <laughs> Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us. This story is fascinating. It's up on the up on 538.com. People should check it out and look at the very cool alignment chart with all of these coaches' faces from, from the movies and then go watch the movies. And that will do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It really does help new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil, Jeff, and Josh, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.